Chapter 13 of Monica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monica by Evelyn Everett Green. Randolph's Story. Randolph led his wife upstairs to the drawing room and closed the door behind them. It was nine o'clock and the room was brightly illuminated. Randolph was in dinner dress, as though he had been some time at home. His face was pale and wore an expression of stern repression more intense than anything Monica had ever seen there before. She was profoundly agitated, agitated most of all by the feeling that he was near her again, the husband that she had pined for without knowing that she pined. Her agitation was due to a kind of tumultuous joy more than to any other feeling, but she hardly knew this herself, and no one else would have credited it from the whiteness of her face and the strained look at war. As a matter of fact, she was physically and mentally exhausted. She had gone through a great deal that day. She had eaten little, and that many hours ago. She was a good deal prostrated, though hardly aware of it, a state in which nervous tension made her unusually susceptible of impression, and she trembled and shrank before the displeasure in her husband's proud face. Would he look like that if he really loved her? Ah, no, no, she shrank a little more into herself. Randolph did not hurry her. He took off his overcoat leisurely and laid his whip down upon the table. He looked once or twice at her as she sat pale and wan in the armchair, whither he had led her. Then he came and stood before her. Monica, what have you to say to me? She looked up at him with an expression in her dark eyes that moved and touched him. Something of the severity passed from his face. He sat down too and laid his hand upon hers. You poor innocent child, he said quietly. I do not even believe you know that you have done wrong. I do, Randolph, she answered. I do know, but not as you think. I could not help that. I hated it. I hate him. But tonight I could not help myself. Where I was wrong was in not doing as you asked, persisting in judging for myself. But how could I know that people could be so cruel, so unworthy, so false? Randolph, I should like tonight to know that I should never see one of them again. She spoke with a passionate energy that startled him. He had never seen her excited like this before. What have they been saying to you? he asked in surprise. Ah, don't ask me. It's too hateful. It was Cecilia. She seemed to think it was amusing, a capital joke. Ah, how can people be so unwomanly, so debased? She put her hands before her eyes as if to shut out some hideous image. Yes, I will tell you, Randolph, I will. I owe it to you, because, because, oh, because there is just enough truth to make it so terribly bitter. She said that people knew it was not an ordinary marriage, ours. She called it a marriage de convenience. She said everybody knew we had not fallen in love with one another. Monica's hand was still pressed over her eyes. She could not look at her husband. She said I showed it plainly that I let everyone see. I never meant to, Randolph, but perhaps I did. I don't know how to pretend. But, oh, she said people thought it was because I cared for someone else that I had married you whilst I loved someone else, and that is all a wicked, wicked lie. You believe that, Randolph, do you not? 
She rose up suddenly, and he rose too, and they stood looking into each other's eyes. You believe in that, at least, Randolph, she asked, and wondered at the stern sorrow visible in every line of his face. Yes, Monica, I believe that, he answered very quietly. Yet, in spite of all his yearning tenderness, there was still some sternness in his manner, for he was deeply moved, and he knew that the time had come when, at all costs, he must speak out. I, too, have heard that false rumor, and have heard, which I hope you have not, the name of the man to whom your heart is supposed to be given. Shall I tell it you? His name is Conrad Fitzgerald. Monica recoiled as if he had struck her and put both her hands before her face. Randolph continued speaking in the same concise way. Let me tell you my tale now, Monica. I left Scotland early this morning, finishing business 12 hours earlier than I expected. I wired from Durham to you, but you had left the house before my telegram reached. In the train during the last hour of the journey, some young fellows got in who were amusing themselves by idle repetition of current gossip. I heard my wife's name mentioned more than once, coupled with that of Sir Conrad Fitzgerald, in whose company she had evidently been frequently seen of late. I reached home. Lady Monica was out for the day with Mrs. Bellamy, presumably with Sir Conrad also. I dined at my club to hear from more than one source that the world was gossiping about my handsome wife and Sir Conrad Fitzgerald. I came home at dusk to find the groom just returned with the news that Sir Conrad was bringing my lady home and he was dismissed from attendance and in effect the man whose acquaintance I repudiate, whose presence in my house is an insult, rides up to my door in attendance upon my wife. Before I say any more, tell me your story, Monica. Let me hear what you have been doing whilst I have been away. Monica, roused to a passionate indignation by what she heard, an indignation that for the moment seemed to include the husband, who had uttered such cruel, wounding words, told her story with graphic energy. She was grateful to Randolph for listening so calmly and so patiently. She was vaguely aware that not all men would show such forbearance and self-control. She knew she had wounded him to the quick by her indiscretion and self-will, but he gave her every chance to exculpate herself. When she had told her story, she stood up very straight before him. Let him pronounce sentence upon her, she would bear it patiently if she could. I see, Monica, he answered very quietly. I understand. It is not all your fault. You have only been unguarded. You have been an innocent victim. It is Fitzgerald's own false tongue that has set on foot these idle, baseless rumors. It is just like him. Monica recoiled again. Just like him, but Randolph, he is my friend. A stern look settled upon Randolph's face. Oblige me, Monica, by withdrawing that word. He is not your friend, and he is my enemy. Your enemy? Yes, and this is how he tries to obtain his revenge. Monica's trembling in every limb. I do not understand, she said. Sit down then, and I will tell you. She obeyed, but he did not sit down. He stood with his back against the chimney piece, the light from the chandelier falling full upon his stern, resolute face, with its handsome features and luminous dark eyes. You say you know the story of Fitzgerald's past? 
Yes, he forged a check, his sister told me. Randolph looked at her intently. Was that all she told you? Yes, she said it was all. He deceived a friend and benefactor and committed a crime. Was that not enough? Not enough for Fitzgerald, it seemed, answered Randolph significantly. Monica, I am glad you did not know more, since you have met that man as a friend. Forgiveness is beautiful and noble, but there are limits. I will tell you the whole story, but in brief. The Colonel Hamilton, of whom you heard in connection with the forgery, was Fitzgerald's best and kindest friend. He was a friend of my mother's and of mine. I knew him intimately and saw a good deal of his protege at his house and at Oxford. I did not trust him at any time. It was no very great surprise when, after a carefully concealed course of vulgar dissipation, he ended by disgracing himself in the way you have heard described. It cut Hamilton to the quick. Why did not the lad come to me if he was in trouble? I would have helped him, he said. He let me into the secret, for I happened to be staying with him at the time, but it was all hushed up. Fitzgerald was forgiven and vowed an eternal gratitude as well as a complete reformation in his life. Did he keep his promise? asked Monica in a whisper. You shall hear how, answered Randolph, with a gathering sternness in his tone, not lost upon Monica. From that moment it seemed as if a demon possessed him. I believe, it is the only excuse or explanation to be offered, that there is a taint of insanity in his blood, and that with him it takes, or took, the form of an inexplicable hatred towards this man to whom he owed so much. About this time, Colonel Hamilton, till then a bachelor, married a friendless, beautiful young wife, to whom in his very quiet and undemonstrative way he was deeply and passionately attached as she was to him. But she was very young and very inexperienced, and when that man, with his smooth false tongue, set himself to poison her life by filling her mind with doubts of her husband's love, he succeeded but too well. She spoke no word of what she suffered, but withdrew herself in her morbid jealous distress. She broke the faithful heart that loved her, and she broke her own too. It sounds a wild and foolish tale, perhaps, to one who does not understand the mysteries of a passionate love such as that, but it is all too true. I had been absent from England for some time, but came home, all unconscious of what had happened, to find my friend Hamilton in terrible grief. His young wife lay dying, dying of a rapid decline, brought on, it was said, by mental distress, and worse than all, she could not endure her husband's presence in the room, but shrank from him with inconceivable terror and excitement. He was utterly broken down by distress. He begged me to see her and to learn, if I could, the cause of this miserable alteration. I did see her. I did get her to tell her story. I heard what Conrad Fitzgerald had done, and I was able, I am thankful to say, to relieve her mind of its terrible fear and to bring her husband to her before the end had come. She died in his arms, happy at the last, but she died, and he, in his broken-hearted misery for her loss and for the treachery of one he had loved almost as a son, did not survive her for long. Within six months, my true brave friend followed her to the grave. I was with him to the end. I need hardly say that Fitzgerald did not attempt to come near him. 
he was plunged in a round of riotous dissipation. Upon the day following the funeral, I chanced to come upon him, surrounded by a select following of his boon companions. Can I bring myself to tell you what he was saying before he knew that I was within earshot? I need not repeat his words, Monica. They are not fit for your ears. Suffice it is to say that he was passing brutal jests upon the man who had just been laid in his grave, and upon the young wife whose heart had been broken by his own base and cruel slanders. Coupled with these jests were disgraceful boastings, as unmanly and false as the lips that uttered them. I had in my hand a heavy riding whip. I took him by the collar and I made him recant each one of those cruel slanders he had uttered and confess himself a liar and a villain. I administered then and there such a chastisement as I hope never to have to administer to any man again. No one interposed between us. I think even his chosen companions felt that he was receiving no more than his due. I thrashed him like the miserable hound he was. If it had been possible, I would have called him out and shot him like a dog. Randolph's voice had not risen whilst he was speaking. He was very calm and composed as he told his story. There was no excitement in his manner, and yet his quiet, quivering wrath thrilled Monica more than the fiercest invective could have done. My whip broke at last. I flung him from me, and he lay writhing on the floor. But he was not past speech, and he had energy left still to curse me to my face and to vow upon me a terrible vengeance which should follow me all my life. He is trying now to keep this vow. History repeats itself, you know. He ruined the happiness of one life and brought about this tragedy by poisoning the mind of a wife and setting her against her husband, and I presume he thinks that experiment was successful enough to be worth repeating. There, Monica, I have said my say. You have now before you a circumstantial history of the past life of Sir Conrad Fitzgerald, your friend. End of chapter 13, read by Bryce Cries, Youngstown.